Okay, now I'm supposed to be up here talking about faith and hope, and I'm excited that we get to talk about that today because uh, it's such a great topic. Um, when, when I got to choose a couple months back what sermon, when I it was given a few options, what part I, I chose this one. Um, maybe it was greedy, but it's just such a, a great passage for us to think about. Uh, and so we're continuing this sermon series on Romans, right? And we've now made it to chapter 4 of Romans. God's word to us today, it comes from Romans 4, verses 13 to 25. And a little bit of background on this passage and, and on what is um, happening, what is precipitating Paul writing this letter to the Christians in Rome. You see, Paul's writing to Christians who are really struggling to make sense of what God is up to what he's doing. Uh, the Christians in Rome, they were, they were asking questions like if, if God is on the throne and if, if Jesus is at his father's side up in heaven, then why does it look and feel like the devil just keeps winning? They were asking what is God doing and also what are we as his people supposed to be doing? And in our passage this morning, what Paul does is he writes both to remind the people of just how necessary true faith really is, and also to point us to the shared hope that we all have in Jesus. And so follow along as I read God's word for us this morning. It should be on the screen for you. Uh, If not, follow, oh, perfect, perfect. Uh, Romans chapter four, beginning at verse 13. Would you hear now the word of the Lord? Paul's writing and he says, it was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were." Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I went back and forth a little. I debated whether or not I should use this example because I didn't want to, I don't know, convey the wrong idea. And I also didn't want to trigger any 
potentially painful memories in any of you from high school because if, you know, high school can be a little rough sometimes. And the trouble is I couldn't think of a better illustration, so, so we're just gonna go with it today. Um, but I can remember when I was in high school, I was dating this girl. I think it was my first girlfriend. And, uh, and I don't remember much about the relationship. It only lasted like a couple of weeks tops. It was, it, was not, it was not a success story or anything like that. What I do remember though are two things, two things that I wish I could forget. First, I remember that I was the one that ended it. But second, I remember how I ended it how I ended it, because I'm not proud of it. I know it is so cliche, but what I did is I pulled this poor girl aside. I, I told her, hey, you know, I don't think things are working out between us. And then I looked her right in the eye, right in the eyes, and I said, listen, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> I actually said that. How awful is that? Uh, first of all, anybody who has ever heard those words, I apologize on behalf of whoever spoke them to you because that is just not cool. You don't say that. Unless, of course, you're me at about 14 years old. But we're all familiar with that expression, right? It's not you, it's me. Why do we say that? Why do we say that? Well, I think it's because we don't want to hurt the other person, right? We, we want to shoulder the responsibility ourselves. We want to put it on our shoulders, so that's why we say it, whether we really mean it or not. But you know, that expression, regardless of how you or I may feel about it, I think it taps into something so much deeper in us as human beings. I think it taps into something that, that has a lot to do with faith and really with what Paul is writing about in our passage. Because it has to do with who's in control and who's responsible, who we're depending on. And you see, Paul's writing because at that time for the Jewish leaders, they followed this system that put them in control. They followed a system where they were responsible, where they could depend on themselves. You see, that's why they made a lot of those extra rules, right? They, they knew, sure, God gave them the law, but it was up to them to follow that law well enough. It was up to them to decide what following that law well looked like. And again, that's why they made a lot of these extra rules. They took what God had said and they mixed some of their own stuff into it. They, they brought extra rules in, their rules, to try to bring God up to speed, maybe to translate his law to the first century at that time. In fact, that's one of the reasons that they didn't like Jesus. Because Jesus refused to follow their rules. He refused to do things any way other than God's way. You see, the religious leaders, they didn't have faith in God to carry out his promise. They said, no, God, it's not you, it's me. It's us, it's on us. It's not your promise we're depending on. No, we're depending on ourselves. We're gonna make sure we do everything exactly the way we think we need to because only that's gonna guarantee that we come out of this. Only that's gonna make sure that your promise actually comes to pass. And now, friends, before we go too hard 
at those Pharisees, I think we have to admit that in, in a lot of ways, if we're honest, we're, we're no better, right? I mean, we live in this world that is based so much on our own hard work, our achievements, our, our ingenuity. And if we're honest, sometimes we don't just live in that world, but we have a tendency to embrace it, right? We have a tendency to do that. We all do, myself included. And, and understand, I'm not saying we do this all the time. I'm not saying we give in to it all the time. But we know that temptation. You know, when we face some sort of trouble or, or intense situation, whether it's financial, medical, social, relational, something else, how often is our first, our, our knee-jerk reaction to turn inward for help or maybe even outward for help instead of upward? How often is our default to depend on ourselves, our own ingenuity, our creative problem-solving skills, maybe our, our courage and our boldness? Or at other times, how often, again, do we turn to others? What's the latest approach? Who are the, the experts that we need to have weighing in on this? What are, what are the world's best practices that we need to be following? Or if you're anything like me, what's the latest book on parenting or strategy or, or family life that we need to read? And understand, I'm not saying it's wrong to read these books. I'm not saying it's wrong to consult with experts in their field or to try and use the brains God gives us. Not at all. Not at all. But you see, those are very helpful tools. But the problem comes in when we start trusting in those things more than God. When we start turning to those things before first asking, God, what would you have me do? God, what do you have to say about this? And that's true for Paul too, right? The issue for him, it wasn't the law. How could it be? God wrote the law. Paul's not against the law. No, the issue was that the people were depending on the law and their ability to follow it instead of depending on God. Just like we sometimes still do today, they were saying, it's not you, God, it's me. It's up to me, I gotta fix this, I gotta make it work, I gotta figure this out. And I don't think you need me to tell you this, friends, but that just doesn't work. It can't be us, it can't. Verse 13, it was not through law that Abraham received the promise. And understand, when Paul says law, what he really means is following the law. Okay, so it was not through following the law that Abraham received the promise, but through what? The righteousness that comes by faith. It was through trust. And then Paul goes on in verse 14 to explain the fallout otherwise. He says that if God's promise depends on how well we follow the law, maybe today we'd say, you know, how smart we are, how hard we work, even how well we follow Jesus. If the promise depends on that and our own abilities, that promise is never gonna happen. Why? Because none of us are good of us. None of us can guarantee that. I certainly can't. 
And even more, if that's the case, then the promise is worthless because when you think about it, it's not actually a promise at all. It's just something we have to try to earn and deserve. But again, how often we weigh ourselves down that way, right? Parents, you know, how often do we worry about how our kids are going to turn out as if that's completely up to us? And again, I'm not saying that we don't try to be the best parents we can be. Of course we do. It's just as we're doing that, we, we got to make sure we don't forget that God is also watching over them every second of the day. Or any of us. How tempting is it to worry about our finances and then forget somewhere along the way that God can do more with $100, if we're being totally honest, than you or I could do with $100 million. It's not exaggerating. God spoke this entire universe into existence. As verse 17 says, he gives life to the dead. None of us can do that. He calls things that are not as though they already were. None of us can do that. But how quickly our tendency is to put our futures on our shoulders instead of God's, right? to turn first to our ways instead of his way, to forget to trust, to forget to follow. We all do it at times. But you know, even in those moments, even in our own shortcomings and failures, God speaks incredible hope. Because in those moments of our lives, and I'm talking all of life, Friends, even in those moments when our faith is weak, when it's hard maybe to see a happy future, even then, especially then, God gently says to us in Jesus, listen, it's not you, it's me. It's not on you, no, it's on me. You, you could never do that. That's why why I did it for you, right, in Jesus. My promise, the the good and perfect plans I have for you, those plans don't depend on you. No, no, they depend on me. Stop trying to shoulder a weight that you just can't carry. Verse 16, therefore the promise comes by faith. But then the verse continues and it tells us why it has to come by faith. So that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed. Do you get it? You see, we don't trust God to boost his ego, and we don't follow God because he's some sort of control freak. No, no, we put our faith in God because he's the only guarantee we have in this life. He's the only constant, the only certainty. Nothing else can bring about the amazing future that he has for us. You can't, I can't, no one who ever has lived or ever will live can only God can. If you want to see what that looks like, just look at Abraham in our passage. He was a hundred years old. He and Sarah, they weren't able to have kids on their own. But as you know, God had promised Abraham he was going to have more descendants than the stars on the sky and the sands on the shore. And I don't think you need me to tell you, there was absolutely no way for Abraham and Sarah to bring about that promise on their own. There was nothing they could do. They were completely helpless. 
I'm sure they had questions. I'm sure they felt completely deflated at times as each year went by and they kept getting older. And we know even their faith wasn't perfect, right? Abraham, he tried to do things his own way more than once. He, he lied about Sarah, said she was his sister because he didn't think God would keep them safe. And we all know that he also tried to help God's plan along, right? By having Ishmael through his servant, Hagar. Their faith wasn't perfect. But you see, God waited to carry out his promise until it was going to be clear to everyone that God alone fulfilled it. It was not by chance or accident or anyone else's plans, however great they may have been. You know, just like with Abraham, just like with so many stories throughout the scriptures, just like with the early church, and just like with you and me today, friends, the fact is God often still chooses to act in ways that make it absolutely clear that it is only by God's grace. It is only by his faithfulness that we are where we are. He often chooses to act in ways that show the world that he alone deserves the glory. Isaiah 42, 8 and 9, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And then notice the similarities in verse 9 because it connects with our passage. See, the former things have taken place, new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. He calls things that are not as though they already were. See, friends, it's got to be God in every part of our lives. We need to hear God whispering, it's not you. It's me. It's not on you. It's on me. That's the faith we've been given. That's the faith that we're called to embrace. And that's a faith that gives us hope even in uncertainty because that is a faith that's depending fully on God. And so what does that hope-filled faith look like for us today? You know, verse 18, what does it say? Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed. I love that line, against all hope. Abraham in hope believed. We all want that kind of faith, right? We all want to be able to do that. So how do we lean into that kind of faith? Two ways. Two ways. First, we admit. We admit. We admit our need for Jesus. We admit how broken we are in every part of our lives. We admit that our ways just don't work. We admit that we're not as smart or as clever as we like to think we are. You see, true faith has no room for boasting. True faith has no room for pride. True faith has no room for comparing ourselves with others. It's got no room for saying, you know, look how good we're doing. Look how far we've come. Look at everything I have achieved. Instead, true faith remembers, always remembers that everything we have, everything we are, everything we ever will be, it's only because of God's goodness and love and grace. Those things aren't 
because of us. No, they're in spite of us. Isaiah 26, 12, the Israelites are speaking, and this is what they say. They say, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. You've done it, not us. And so we admit, we admit wholeheartedly our complete dependence on God. And then we commit. We commit to doing ourselves, do it, we commit ourselves, sorry, to doing things God's way. Not our ways, not the world's ways, only his way. Because only God has the power to do what he's promised. No one else does. God makes this so clear. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God, I don't think he's trying to be mean in this passage. I think he's just telling it like it is. So we commit. We commit to living our lives the way Jesus modeled it for us, and we commit ourselves to living out those words that John the Baptist spoke. He must become greater. We must become less. Friends, that's what it means to walk in faith, true faith. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged. That's a tall order. And let's face it, we all go through times in our life when our faith feels weak and small. We all do. But you know, the Bible teaches us that God even gives us our faith, and even he's the one that makes it grow. You see, what's so amazing is that this isn't a faith that we have to somehow try and muster up on our own. No, no, even our faith is part of, our, is part of God's promise. Even that faith is on God's shoulders. Even our trust in him is only because God has worked in our hearts and given us that trust. Did you notice the passive tenses in our passage today? It says Abraham was strengthened in his faith. He didn't strengthen it himself. And Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. He didn't persuade himself. It's incredible. In those times when we feel that need to trust God more, God helps us trust him more. In those times when we're desperately looking for hope, God gives us hope. I mean, the choir and orchestra, you guys just reminded us of that so beautifully. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Why? Not because great is our faithfulness. No, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. And so friends, I don't know what each of you are going through in your individual lives right now. I don't claim to know what God has planned for any one of us in the weeks and the months and the years to come. I don't. But here's what I do know. I know that we have all faced plenty of challenges in our past where we can look back and see the way God has so faithfully provided. I know that God has a plan for each of us. Couldn't tell you what it is, but I know he's got one. And I know that if God's got us, that's the very best place for us to be. And even more, I know that we we have more reason to trust God than even Abraham did. Why? 
Because unlike Abraham, friends, we know about Jesus, right? Because of him, because of Jesus, we know how much God loves us. Because of Jesus, we know how far God would go to rescue us. And because of Jesus, we know that no matter how much Satan would love to get in the way of God's plans, that battle, it's already been decided. The victory is his And all the powers of death and hell could not defeat him. They could not stop God from making good on his promises. So take hope because you know who you belong to. And so when the worries of this life make you feel so deflated, remember that you belong to the one who says in this world, In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. (sighs) In those times in your life when you feel overwhelmed by all those forces of evil pressing in around you, remember that you belong to the one who says, the prince of this world is coming, sure, but he has no hold on me. And especially, (laughs) especially in those darkest moments, when it feels like you are going through hell. Always remember that you belong to the one who says, I'm gonna build my kingdom right here, right here. And even the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Friends, whatever tomorrow holds, Remember that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So take courage because your future isn't in your hands. It's in God's hands. It's not you, it's him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we just acknowledge so humbly and so gratefully who you are. Lord, we deserve none of all the blessings you give us, but you give them to us just the same. So Lord, quiet our souls. Give peace to our hearts. Whatever situations we may be going through, Lord, we know that you are in control and we know that you know what you're doing. So give us a faith like Abraham. Help us to hope against all hope because we know that our true hope is rooted only in you and in the love you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. So fill us with your peace and spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.